This is Better Benefits, a podcast from the team at Brella Insurance. We're talking about how to use employee benefits to build a world where health hardships don't create financial burdens. If you're a broker or employer looking for fresh ideas and new products employees will actually use, this show's for you. Hi there, I'm Laura Cave, Head of Marketing here at Brella, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike Zarillo, for Better Benefits, Episode 35. Today, we're thrilled to welcome Megan Zimmerman to the show. Megan is a Vice President of Employee Health Benefits at Marsh McLennan in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She has built the biggest book of business in her office and was a finalist for the Benefit Pro's Broker of the Year Award. I'm particularly excited to have Megan here today because she has a reputation for helping organizations lower their healthcare costs while also improving employee coverage, which sounds like a really difficult thing to do. Mike, can you give us a little bit of perspective on that? Hey, Laura. Yeah, great to be with you for another episode. And you're right that reducing cost while increasing coverage sounds almost like a paradox in our industry, but that's really the secret sauce if we can make it happen. The fact is healthcare inflation continues to skyrocket and the more common game plan to address this has been to modify health insurance plan designs, which you know typically mean asking employees to take on more financial responsibility. And you know we talk about these statistics a lot to put it into perspective in the last quarter century, health plan deductibles have skyrocketed nearly 800%, premiums over 300%. So the idea of bringing employer costs down while at the same time keeping employee costs in check and ensuring that they have access to the best possible healthcare is certainly certainly challenging. But we've heard from prior guests like Dave Chase of Health Rosetta and successful broker advisors like Josh Butler in Texas and Tom DeLegro in South Carolina, and now Megan, who are finding ways to get through these challenges. So I'm excited to hear more from Megan on her approach and to dig into exactly how this is working for her clients in the upper Midwest. Okay, well, let's go ahead and introduce Megan and jump into it. So as I mentioned, Megan is a leading benefit advisor at Marsh McLennan. Previously, she built her career in healthcare analytics and on-site primary care and near-site clinics for companies all over Wisconsin. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike and Laura. I'm honored to be here. Great to have you. So I thought we'd start off uh, by asking you to tell us a little bit about your professional journey. How did you become passionate about benefits? My journey, like so many others, never had the probably the the initial intention to be in the benefits industry. So, you know, my background and degree was in dietetics and really passionate about helping individuals gain control of their their health. And I quickly learned being in the hospital side of the business um, just wasn't for me. It was always very much more aligned to the business side. So then I, I jumped in and, and worked with a organization with healthcare analytics and really started to understand and look at data and you know having conversations around how you use data to make decisions. And you know that was really instrumental in helping have a you know a detailed conversation, you know, certainly with uh, clients and employers in the future around their data. And uh, then I, I joined an organization that was independent and providing uh, nearsight or onsite primary care clinics. So really a lot of mid-size uh, self-funded employers throughout Wisconsin that wanted to provide you know high quality, 
primary care for their employees and family members on the health plan. And, and that naturally led me into the, the current role I'm in with Marsha McLennan and advising employers, you know, on their health and benefits strategy. And, you know, it, it led me to really having, um, you know, a seat at the table, so to speak, when you were talking about what's possible. And I noticed when I was working on the, the clinic side that oftentimes the, the broker, advisor, consultant, whatever term you want to use, was really the gatekeeper to what was possible from a benefit strategy for a lot of their employer clients. And, you know, and that, that has the pros and cons, certainly, but really the, the strategy and driving forward was based on, you know, that consultant or broker's experience. And I, I just saw things from a different perspective and knew I could make an impact. Well, you've kept the first off, we always love hearing the background on how folks get into benefits, but you've kept the trend alive. And, and that's not many of us or certainly our guests ever thought they might be here, you know, in the in the world of benefits. But that's really great sort of back background to, to my question around, you know, and, and you've you've been really successful with Marsh McClellan. And and I'm just wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about your philosophy. And, and your approach to winning and maintaining client relationships, especially through this lens of your role as, as the gatekeeper, as you put it. So I really pride myself on trying to be able to provide what's possible to every you know, client or prospective client that I engage with. And that doesn't always mean that it's the right, the right time or the right solution at that moment. But if nobody you know, works to provide and, and give an understanding of what, it, what is possible for their healthcare strategy, you don't know what decisions to make. And so I, you know, prior to joining the advising side, really built a foundation on primary care and, and what was possible around a strong primary care strategy. And also just started you know, researching a lot about direct contracting and data and, and you know, my background in analytics and you know, when you're self-funded, you have access to that data. So really having that, you know, the background and understanding of what is possible and then forming it into, you know, really kind of a, a three-pronged process that I believe in and, and certainly is that purpose. You know, I, I truly believe in the purpose of trying to improve healthcare for the organizations and that I partner with and their employees. So there, there's certainly that you know, we're, we're aligned in a purpose that I have with a number, you know, of my client partners. And then certainly the passion. I, I really enjoy researching, reading books, listening to podcasts, talking to, you know, leaders in the industry and partners of, you know, what is the problem that you're seeing and what is the solution that you're implementing and, you know, kind of building a you know, a book of resources around, you know, some of those best practices, and then certainly having a defined process. You know, I mean, there's so much that is constantly changing within our industry and certainly with healthcare and, you know, just in general, the, the you know, workplace landscape. And so really having a defined process of what are our goals, what are the options, and how do we want to go and, and implement, and then certainly measure. You know, I mean, we, we talk about oftentimes, you know, if you put in, you know, this solution, you can save X amount. Well, then making sure that you're measuring it and that it has a quality outcome. And I, I really believe through, you know, that approach has been successful in, you know, building a, a great book of clients and relationships and, you know, really building it on trust and accountability. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I, I think the word that comes to mind as I listen to you take us through that approach is discipline, right? And 
sort of, you know, committing to that process. And and you mentioned data and analytics. And I'm wondering, you know, if you wouldn't mind digging a little deeper on that topic as to, you know, what are you doing in that area? What has changed in that area that has helped inform you and and and, and allow you to be a more productive advisor to your clients? Great question. I mean, certainly it is a term we use often and, and quite frankly, loosely, but it, it's really how you apply it. So to order to have access to data, you have to be self-funded. And from my experience and my belief, and then you also have to, when you're self-funded, have partners in place, such as the TPA that or third-party administrator that you're working with that are willing to share the data so that you can work with your clients to make informed decisions. So you know, there's a number of, of data analytics platforms and, you know, TPAs certainly that I have experience with with clients, but then it's also con- making it concise and meaningful. So, so often I, I call the data dump that I see out in the industry where people are coming in and, you know, providing, you know, employers and their clients, you know, books of data, but they don't have actionable insights of what they're going to do to, to drive a result. So for example, you know, looking at seeing an increase in, you know, diabetics within a population and understanding, you know, where's the blind spot of the programs that maybe we don't have in place and having a, you know, program that is put in place to reach out and and provide the advocacy and making sure that you, you know, connect them with a clinical resource so that they're adherent to medications and, you know, then measuring the effectiveness of that and, and looking and then certainly at the short-term and long-term cost containment, but also employee and member satisfaction as well. And, and looking at how that has an overall impact then of those some of the longer term high cost claims that can result. So really looking at it as what are those steps that we can make in the, you know, the present moment from looking at the information, but also what some of the long-term results can be. And when we're talking about, you know, cost inflation and healthcare continuing to increase, you know, quite frankly, at an you know, unsustainable rate, you know, having that information is going to be key in making sound decisions for the health plan in the, the present and certainly within the future. I love that. And I think what's really interesting about what you said is this idea that you can't just have an expectation around data and analytics without the right partners and the right structure for your benefits, for those things being in place. Because if you don't, if you're not self-funded, if you don't have the TPA that's willing to share information, then suddenly you're not even getting the data dump and you don't have the opportunity to use it to create those actionable insights. So on one hand, it's almost like structuring your plan to provide the data and then also having a plan of how you're going to use it to drive better decisions and better health outcomes. Absolutely. It has to be meaningful. And and quite frankly, it can be five data points that you're looking at and measuring. It does not need to be 20 or 30. That often so often can overwhelm a lot of decision makers when they're looking at what programs to implement, but having it be uh, meaningful and you know having that thought process to what is that end goal that we're looking to accomplish and being able to measure it. That's really important. It sounds like more is not necessarily better. It's all about the intention behind it, right? And following through. That's great. Well, so now let's get get a little bit in the weeds, if you would, and and take us into, you know, we're speaking at the end of 2021. The show will come out. Folks will be listening at the beginning of 2022. So we've just been through, you know, a big cycle. And I'm wondering if you can talk to us about what some of the big challenges your clients were faced with this year and how you helped them overcome some of these things. Well, there certainly were a number of challenges that, 
you know, many clients and organizations were facing. I mean, certainly healthcare costs continue to be top of mind. You know, I do have a majority of my clients are self-funded. And so certainly their their own insurance companies, as we, you know, talk about when we look at the the healthcare costs. So, you know, making sure that there's programs and partnerships in place that are continuing to deliver from a cost containment standpoint. So certainly you know, having conversations about kind of, um, you know, we're looking at stop loss increases and and the type of programs and strategies that you can put in place to mitigate a lot of those costs. So certainly healthcare costs continue to be top of mind along with, you know, pharmacy. And, and I think oftentimes, you know, we talk about medical costs, but the continuous high costs that pharmacy continues to trend at. And there is some really amazing PBMs and strategies that are available to control you know, pharmacy spend, you know, certainly if, if the employers are rolling, willing to roll up their sleeves a bit and, you know, evaluate these programs. So we've had a lot of success from, you know, just speaking on the pharmacy side to controlling cost and spend through, you know, having kind of your traditional boutique PBM, but then also having kind of an advocacy program attached to it for the continuous, especially medications that certainly can be costly to plans. Certainly, you know, the unknown, I would say, was also, you know, very much so a consistent theme in 2021. You know, what are our cost increases going to look like from COVID, the delay in care? How is the market going to react to that? And, you know, when you're looking at healthcare data and, and, and looking at, you know, establishing a trend, you usually have, you know, at least 24 to 36 months of data that you know, you kind of look at from a, a cost perspective and trend. And so really having 2019 be that outlier you know, sometimes when you're making comparisons, you know, was a little bit of, we were all kind of navigating uncharted territory, so to speak, from, you know, how the market was going to react to the delay in care. And I would really say, you know, certainly mental health continues to be top of mind. And, and certainly what we're seeing, you know, with legislation not only being passed, but just the, the outreach and impact that it is having on employees and organizations. But what I really do feel I saw in, you know, primarily the the Midwest and and certainly in Wisconsin is more and more employers wanting to embrace change and that change being moving to more of a self-funded plan and really not wanting to kind of take the status quo approach any longer of being fully insured and and having, um, you know, kind of these renewals that they really didn't feel they could have control or insight from, from the lack of, again, going to the data and the lack of it. And having that insight to make sound decisions on, you know, strategies and cost containment. So I definitely saw more and more, you know, employers and, and organizations embrace a self-funded model for their health plan. Well, that's really encouraging to hear. And I, I'm, I'm guessing some of that is the good work you're doing, right, in, in advising and consulting with your employers. But taking that leap, we've heard it on prior episodes, can be scary for employers and and uh, you know, having an advisor who's who's willing to maybe push, you know, in in a way that allows folks to be more comfortable is is good to hear. I'm curious. You touched on the unknowns, and and I'm I'm just wondering from your perspective, have you sort of found in the last year, certainly the last you know couple of years, that the unknowns have because oftentimes the unknown stops folks in their tracks, right? They're unwilling to take that leap because because of the unknowns. I'm just curious if you're seeing. At the same time, more employers being willing willing to to try some things differently. Are you also finding that the unknowns have have created an environment of inertia? Absolutely, I, I think there's you know to your to your point, Mike. Certainly, with a lot of organizations moving 
self-funded, those are conversations that have been happening for probably a year plus prior to that transition. So as much as it can be the unknown, it's having that that history and, and education and, and conversations that led them to making that decision. But also, you know, certainly we need to continue to evolve and change. And I think if anything, you know, that with COVID and, you know, the last two years, change is constant and it's going to continue to happen and we have to adapt. And I think a lot of organizations saw that they have to change and pivot and adapt, not only to, you know, the impact it had on their workforce, but also the health and, and care and cost of, you know, their employees and, and their family members and wanting to, be, have, a, have a stronger role in that decision-making process and understanding the importance of having a really affordable, accessible, and, and quality health plan that can take care of their employees and their family members. You know, I had one follow-up question that I wanted to sneak in here, if that's okay. We've heard a lot about the accelerated adoption of virtual healthcare. I'm wondering if you see whether that's, you know, telehealth for, you know, acute sort of primary care concerns, or if it's virtual care for chronic and, and mental health. I'm wondering if, especially with your background in, in primary care clinics and sort of care delivery, I'm curious if you're starting to see that change to the picture at all on the cost side of things when you're looking at how groups are, are consuming healthcare. Absolutely. Uh, most of my clients with direct primary care, near site clinics, primary care clinics in general, the providers have a telehealth service included for no cost for employees and members on the plan. And, you know, sometimes people think, well, if, if they have access to the clinic, why would you also have the, you know, providers be offering telehealth? And it, it really helps support that established relationship that the employees and members have with that primary care provider through their respective clinic that they also maybe just have a quick question they want to run by them or a follow-up on medication for, you know, one of their children that is routinely, you know, overseen by the clinic provider. So having that ability to set up a video call, in some cases text, you know, there, there's just an openness to that communication and making it be accessible and flexible to, you know, certainly the, the employees and members' schedules, but then also having that wraparound care service, you know, I mean, the traditional clinic hours of, you know, maybe eight to five, but then using that, that basis for the telehealth support to really be guiding employees outside of the, the clinic hours to have that be the first resource of certainly for a non-emergency need to use that often can answer the question, provides that quality and care to the, the members, but also certainly from a cost perspective is going to be a fraction of the cost of running to an urgent care or you know, certainly avoiding an ER visit. So I, I definitely am seeing a, a stronger uptick also from a mental health standpoint with, with having those resources available. I mean, you, many of us have, have heard that the, and seen, you know, when somebody wants to get into a provider, you know, the wait times, not having the accessibility. And so then they, they resort to just as they do, you know, from the health plan side of going to the urgent care and, and going to the ER and, it really is becoming a consistent solution that I see more and more employees embracing, but also encourage more and more employers to offer at no cost to help facilitate that utilization and, and usage of those telehealth resources. So Megan, let's shift gears a little bit. And, and if I'm a benefits advisor or, or consultant 
today and I'm listening to this and I want to start doing things a little bit differently, wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing your thoughts on on how should I get started? Absolutely. Well, I, I would say with anything, you, you have to be willing to put in the time to certainly take the path less traveled, if that's fair. You know, really what I see often is, you know, asking why. <laughs> you know, I, I think when you look at our industry, you can do, I believe, very well with kind of going the traditional route of, you know, maybe where I'm a little bit more into the the self-funded disruptive healthcare model. And, and, you know, for many other benefits, advisors or pros in the industry have done very well in the traditional model. But we, we certainly are starting to see more and more employers and organizations embrace the disruption approach and, and moving more into, you know, controlling and having insight and being involved in their plan. So start asking why we do things, you know, why, why can't my client have their data? You know, why are we okay with kind of the status quo approach of, uh, you know, getting a renewal and not having any insight into that number and just wanting to pass that message along. So I think start questioning why you're getting the answers you are from partners and and continuing to dig deeper into that. I mean, I I really have always admired, you know, Toyota's approach with a five wise technique of really using that technique to get to the the core strategy or solution to fix a problem. So I think just have that curiosity and passion to ask why, and then be willing to find resources and partners in the market who are doing things differently and ask them for coffee, ask, you know, take people out to lunch. I mean, that was something that I firmly believe in is, you know, creating a network around you of people who are smarter, more talented, have more experience and, and learning from them. And, and being able to trade best practices. And then you build this, this tribe of collaborators around you that I, I really feel can help you know, impact your career and, and certainly support you in that journey of doing and taking a different approach to advising. Yeah, I, I really love that last point. I mean, I, I think you know, being willing to seek help from others, ask help from others, you know, share ideas, best practices, you know, collaborate with others is really, is really awesome. So what's uh, next for you as we turn the page to 2022? And it's crazy because it just feels like we were asking this question around 2021, but what are you looking forward to in the new year? I'm looking forward to a number of things. You know, Specifically, I'm really interested to see how the Consolidated Appropriations Act is going to unfold and, and impact our industry. I, I certainly think legislation is, is for the better. And it, you know, continues to get back to a lot of the same philosophies and, and purpose that I believe in around benefits. And, you know, it's, it's really going to require a lot of um, employers to look at their data and have a sound process to, you know, really understanding the, the fiduciary responsibility as plan sponsors that they have. And so I think working and, and educating uh, more and more you know, organizations on that process and, and philosophy and, and seeing the impact certainly of, you know, the CAA be carried out and established. Uh, I'm also very excited and bullish about direct primary care and, and really seeing that continue to grow and flourish. It is certainly, you know, I remember a few years ago, the term DPC and, you know, very few advisors, uh, you know, even recognize that term to now seeing, you know, the growth and just the employer market really embracing, you know, direct primary care for their employees. So I would say, you know, certainly, um, you know, the CAA and direct primary care. And, and also, I, I personally 
love to see navigation and price transparency evolve from, you know, employees and, and navigation perspective around the health plan. So really looking at that opportunity, continue to refine that process and, and more communication and resources dedicated to helping employees and members make sound healthcare decisions and, you know, continue to provide a better user experience for them. That's great. So we've loved this conversation. We could probably talk to you for hours and hours longer, but we probably need to wrap it up soon. And we have one more question that we always ask to our guests. And that is, if you could recommend a book or a resource to our listeners that had a big impact on your personal or professional growth, what would it be? I'd say a book recently that I've read that really has made a large impact on me. It's called Your 168, Finding Purpose and Satisfaction in a Values-Based Life. And this was written by Harry Jansen Kramer. And, you know, when you're, I look at, we, we really have so much opportunity, but to make a change and have an impact, but often we can be limited in time and bandwidth. And so really ensuring that you make you make your time matter and you make account and you're driving towards again what is that purpose and values that guide you to you know make the most of your career and the impact that you have on you know the individuals that you partner with and, and mentor so I, I really highly recommend this kind of as we turn the the calendar to a new year you know to really you know use this book and guidance to making your time valuable and, and realigning with those values. I love that. You're right. It's it's a perfect message for January. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, thank you so much, Megan. We really appreciate your you bringing your perspective and your time to the show and, you know, hope we'll get to to chat again sometime soon. No, thank you for the opportunity and having the discussion. All right. So, Mike, what are a couple of takeaways that that you're going to take away from this conversation? Yeah, there, there's a lot. Very, very impressive approach to you know Megan's model and and work with her clients. I think the one thing that stood out to me was you know the focus on on data and analytics and and not just access to it, but you know she touched on finding ways to make that data actionable and leveraging the insights and the intelligence that that data provides. You know, I think it's one thing to just have access and have the data at your fingertips. It's another thing to actually be able to do something with it in a way that that's meaningful. And that's sort of the second item here. I guess I'll piggyback off of off the first and that, you know, she she discussed how more data isn't always better. You know, data doesn't have to be overwhelming. You know, it's it's finding you know, the most meaningful components of that data that can drive action and, and, and make a difference. And, and I think that's a good reminder, right? Because, you know, stacks and stacks of reports that doesn't necessarily mean it's good data if it's not allowing you to do something meaningful and, and actionable with it. How about you, Laura? Yeah, I mean, I, the data piece was so, so impactful. The other thing I really appreciated from Megan's point of view is just her insight around brokers and their role. She talked about brokers as the gatekeepers of the possible. I just think that's so, so true and so compelling. On one hand, that might seem, you know, intimidating, but on the other hand, it's such an amazing opportunity to be able to bring your clients, you know, the range of options that they can choose from and to do that in a way that really cares for the things that your client needs and and needs to prioritize for their team. And so I recognize, you know, that that brokers and benefit advisors really do bear a burden of of knowing what's new, of knowing what's out there, of really getting in the weeds and making sure that these new solutions work before they recommend them. And 
you know, and that takes time, you know, and, and that's one of the reasons that we created this show and why we why we do the work we do on our blog. And, and it's to help brokers stay abreast of what is happening out there that they need to know about. And I loved what she said about, you know, if you're a broker who's trying to do things differently, if you want to take your career to the next level, if things aren't working the way that they used to, and you need to make a change, it is about connecting with other people and having a tribe of collaborators, I think was her phrase. I just loved that because it's so true. You know, we can let insecurity and fears change chase us around, or we can get proactive and ask the people who are awesome at this kind of work, what they're doing. How is that working for you? How did you get there? How do you solve this problem? And I just think that that's such a great reminder that often all we need to do is invite somebody to lunch. So. Very good. Well, I think that's it for this episode. So if you'd like to connect with Megan, you can message her on LinkedIn. That's the best way to get in touch with her. You can find the link to her profile as well as a link to the book that she mentioned in our show notes, which you can find at joinbrella.com slash podcast. If you want to get in touch with us and join this sort of tribe of collaborators we have going on here at Brella, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch with us through our website at joinbrella.com. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the Better Benefits newsletter for more great ideas and advice for benefit professionals. From Mike and myself, as always, thank you for listening. Visit joinbrella.com slash podcast for notes from today's show. And if you liked the episode, share it with a colleague. This helps us spread the word. Be sure to subscribe or follow in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss our next episode. And that's a wrap. This is Laura Cave and Mike Zarillo from the Better Benefits podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.